Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Eugene. I am here with Anya Aronowski-Kronberg, and this is our second installment uh, and probably final one uh, in conversation about the fashion media or uh, and Anya Kronberg uh, is the editor of Bestoy magazine, and she is one of the most interesting and fascinating people I've ever get to speak about fashion, <laughs> and someone who constantly challenges my preconceived notions, uh, which I appreciate. Um, and I think this should be very interesting. Uh, but welcome, Anya. Thanks, Eugene. I bet you say that to all the girls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. Uh, well, but, thanks for the but, uh, Much obliged. Sure, but I did a very short intro uh, because I actually I want you uh, to speak about what you do because you know you're not only doing Vesto, you're doing other things, but also because Vesto is such a fascinating magazine because it's it's sits at this interesting intersection. It's not exactly academic, it's not exactly uh industry and it's not exactly consumer facing publication. It's it's something in between, but every fashion nerd I know knows about it. And it's also quite under the radar, you know, outside of the fashion nerd community. Um, but people who are really hardcore interested in fashion, they know of it. So I would like you to, you know, to introduce yourself more in depth and to speak about uh, what Vestoy is. With pleasure. I mean... Let me think. I I started Vestoy about it's, it's over ten years ago now. Actually, I uh, at the time was yeah. I mean, it was one of those projects born out of frustration. Um, really, I I remember feeling very much um, that very much that there was a dearth of um, good solid, well-written um, texts about fashion. I don't want to say journalism necessarily because I never um, strove to be a journalist uh, as much as uh, I've wanted to experiment with a lot of different um, formats for fashion writing. I mean, Vestoy, uh, since the very beginning, combined theory with uh, with um, narrative, I mean, prose, with fiction, um, with oral histories, interviews, um, and visuals. And so I was interested in what fashion writing could be, really, because I felt that it was very formulaic, and I wanted there mm -hmm. to be an alternative. And so <clears throat> when I started Vestoy, I mean, it, it was very much uh, cowboy style. And I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I, I 
was also one of those people learning on the job. Um, and I didn't think too much about like, um, yeah, the, the practical aspects. I mean, I started quite modest. I printed, I can't remember if it was 500 or 1000 copies of the first issue. And then it grew to 2000 and then three, and now we print 5,000. So little by little it's, uh, it's grown. And also little by little I've become more, um, confident really in what the story is. I mean, both in terms of the publication, which is annual, um, always themed and, um, but it's also changed over the years. I mean, I remember starting out experimenting with fashion imagery and then, I mean, fashion shoots and then realizing that I was absolutely rubbish at knowing, you know, what, <laughs> even actually, even ultimately what I liked, you know, it's like, I just didn't mm -hmm. feel confident, um, in that medium. And so I, I, uh, a few issues in stopped trying to make traditional fashion imagery and just decided that the visuals in the story would instead be a kind of, um, uh, parallel interpretation of whatever theme we were dealing with rather than, um, an attempt at um, engaging with, with the, how do you say, like, or, or trying to exist within the framework of fas fashion images by which I mean, um, using a stylist, using, um, mm -hmm. If, if not a professional model, then a model of some sort um, using uh, a certain kind of garments that in some way need to say something of the time. And anyway, so I've, I've moved away from that and the visuals have changed over the years. But, but I think that um, the text has, has, uh, has been pretty consistent, I think. And, and the way I deal with themes mm -hmm. has also been uh, quite consistent. I started out... I think the first, very first issue of Vestoy was a kind of expansion of my uh, um, master's thesis. I studied um, history of uh, history and theory of design um, in London. At, it was a course between the Royal College of Art and the V&A Museum, and I wrote my thesis on uh, secondhand and vintage clothes and how they moved into the mainstream, like from something that was um part of a kind of bohemian lifestyle to something that just really boomed in the 2000s right and became very much a mainstream part of fashion and anyway and so uh, i had when i started the story it was very it was good in that sense because i i i already knew what i I had the material somehow. I mean, it changed, of course, and I commissioned mm -hmm. things particularly for, for the issue, but I already felt I knew the topic very well. And so that helped me also um, not feel totally overwhelmed with, you know, all the operational aspects of starting a, a publication and then at the same time trying to figure out, you know, trying to research the topic. But s since then, I mean, we've always used, I've always been interested in big narrative, like big ideas, uh, let's say, in terms of topics, the story has dealt with um, with shame, with uh, with 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 power, with failure, magic, masculinities was a topic, uh, capital, mm -hmm. and most recently doubt. And anyway, there's been we're on started working on our 
11th issue now, which deals with everyday life. But the topics have always been like big um, societal, cultural topics that I then filter um, or rather use fashion as a way of understanding this larger topic. And through that, also, uh, it becomes both fashion and the topic really a lens of, you know, to look at, uh, <laughs> look at life, you know, how we live, why mm-hmm. we wear what we wear, why we move through life the way we, we do. I mean, um, my interest in fashion really is, is an interest in people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the texts are a mix between theory and criticism and narrative interviews if i remember correctly there were even poems yeah yeah well even yeah i've done that too yes um and but i would also you tell uh from what i remember because i think people are always interested to know how do you start a magazine mm. but from what I what I remember you in a fairly unique situation right where the Royal College helped you with financing oh no 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 or am no. I wrong no no you're wrong uh, actually what happened no the, I did the um I did the first three issues of a story totally cowboy style like winging it you know like uh, okay. getting deals with uh I remember like convincing the uh, printer and paper company to um, to invest, you know, their services for free. Like convincing people to um, to contribute texts and imagery for nothing. Like you know, it's it, uh, mm-hmm. very um, yeah, kind of making it up in a way as I as I went along, and also um, because I noticed, you know, I, I, already from. This is the an amazing thing actually about um, fashion, and it might be the same in other creative disciplines. But you know, if if people, if you believe in your project, if people believe in your project, you can get a lot done just uh, on the on that basis. No, like finding uh, like minded people. You know, frustrated in as I was frustrated at the beginning, you know, not being able to find. Um, Kind of thought-provoking, critical, um, human. I mm-hmm, don't know how mm-hmm. to put it better. You yeah. know, writing on fashion. Yeah. And so, um, when I'd done those first three issues, and already from the beginning, because a, a very important aspect of the story um, since the start was to bridge um, theory and practice in fashion, because I'd noticed. You know, when I was a student, I um, I was introduced to fashion studies, which I didn't really know um, existed before. You know, before I studied history design, I studied fine art, and and I um, um, yeah, and so I I didn't um, I uh, you know coming to fashion studies and and understanding how you could use uh, theory, whether that was uh, sociology or anthropology or philosophy or economics or history or whatever uh, to understand uh, dress mm-hmm. it just it it really um, yeah it, it sort of it blew my mind because I didn't know that and I, I didn't under you know it took it took me um, 
some time and, and also being, you know, at the right uh, university with the right teachers to, um, mm-hmm. yeah, to, to understand also dress from that point of view. Then at the same time, when I started working, I, I realized that how uh, uncommon actually it was uh, amongst fashion professionals, designers, uh, you know, stylists, hairdressers, whatever, all the people that make up the industry, how uncommon it was for them to actually know that this topic, fashion studies, existed, you know, that you could look at fashion in this way. Some people did already in an intuitive way, but mm-hmm. uh, but the knowledge of, of the academic discipline and, and, and all the research that, that went into that, um, I could see how it didn't make its way from uh, academia into the industry. And so with Vestoy, right. the, the idea of mixing um, theory, I mean, academic research and more narrative writing and interviews with people in the industry was really an attempt at, um, yeah, bridging these two ivory towers, as it were. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't the only, I mean, I, I never, I wouldn't, really ever have called myself an academic, but I, I kept having a foot um, in academia and another foot in industry. And and I realized that there were a lot of young scholars who, um, who also were deeply interested in the fashion industry. I mean, from a personal point of view, you know, as wearers, as people who, mm-hmm. um, who enjoyed uh, all the aspects of fashion that perhaps older scholars uh, were more skeptical of or, or, or suspect right. of. And so um, I never had a hard time interesting scholars in in uh, in investing, contributing. And I, I remember right at the beginning already being invited to a lot of conferences to talk about my work. And, and mm-hmm. I always felt that um, that Vestoy was embraced in, um, in that, um, yeah, in, in academia. And so... From that came um, interest from London College of Fashion. Okay. I remember that um, I, I'd spoken at the conference and um, and a faculty member of the university just got really curious and she somehow had um, the feeling that what I was doing would appeal to the then dean of the university, Francis Corner. And so she arranged a meeting and very quickly Francis uh, understood that what I was doing fit with her at the time mission also bringing what, what's called practice-based research into the academy. So rather than having um, these uh, more conventional, let's say, researchers coming from sociology or anthropology or dress history mm-hmm. or uh, economics or whatever. Um, being a researcher could also mean that you were a practitioner. And so for me, that meant essentially the project of the story becoming my research. And so she then created a position for me at the research department um, at LCL. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there until uh, last year. So it was it was many years. So it meant that okay. being um, um, at the university, being a research fellow, meant that I had a uh, a salary that came from the university. So in that sense, it meant that you know, I didn't have. Um, I mean that that was the support that they offered me. You know the framework of right. 
of knowing that I could focus on my work, that I could get the story as good as, you know, as good as I could make it, that I wouldn't have to um, scramble to get um, freelance work, you know, the way so many of, uh, you know, so many indie publishers and freelancers otherwise have to, um, you know, navigate um, mm-hmm. our time. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, mm. a very shameful situation that a lot of uh, journalists and fashion media um, contributors find themselves in. There's a constant scramble for money. Um, so in a way, yeah, I guess it, it, it allowed you to concentrate on Vestoy without, and also to be able to pay rent, which is nice. Indeed, more yeah, it's necessary, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So we came to our respective careers. Sounds like from the same place because I also started writing out of the dissatisfaction with the with the fashion media landscape at the time. Uh, particularly noticing that anything good that I was reading was coming out of general interest publications rather than fashion publications, Mm. whether it was the New Yorker or the New York Times uh, and so on. And of course, I very quickly realized that without even reading about it, that it has to do with uh, fashion advertising and really that um, fashion brands have the upper hand um, I think that's, in, in this if, landscape. If I may, I think that's uh, that's part of the reason um, mm-hmm. for sure. And I, and I mean, I uh, from the very first issue of Vestoy, because of that, decided not to have any advertising um, mm-hmm. in in the magazine and and to instead and to place it somehow outside of the um, biannual fashion uh, schedule, meaning that publications come out around the same time that new collections uh, are presented, right, during fashion weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think that the – I don't think it's the only reason why fashion journalism often feels um, poor. I think that it's also because – um, I think a lot of fashion journalists come to fashion writing from a lot of other, um, I don't know if disciplines is the right word, but they come, it's, it's not, uh, now I think there are now fashion journalism courses, you know, at the academies uh, are more common. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that the, uh, I mean, I expect that the quality is higher than what it was when I studied. I mean, I did a very brief <laughs> one year before switching to fine art in, uh, you know, studying fashion um, journalism and promotion or whatever it was called. Like uh, this was at Central St. Martins in London as well. You know, it was already in the course name. There was journalism, communications and promotions, you know, in understanding mm-hmm. that it's telling, no, that it's like it's all one thing. They are, you know, already from the start, they're connected. But I think that when, so whereas, you know, uh, uh, I imagine that the majority of 
journalists writing for the Times, they've gone, you know, this route of coming from, I don't know, Colombia or whatever, mm-hmm. like these uh, top uh, schools for for writing or for journalism. And so, right. so I think, you know, if you come to fashion writing, maybe having studied um, this thing called fashion communications, which is much uh, vaguer um, a term, you know, if, if you don't um, think of writing with the same, you know, in fashion with the same rigor as I expect, you know, uh, young journalists are, are um, obliged to think of their topic, you know, if they write for these general interest publications that you were mentioning, you know, these newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, you're already starting at the back uh, foot, if that's the right word. Like, um, so I think, yes, yeah. yeah, so education is a big is a is I think plays a big part. You know, I don't think in fashion we have the structure yet, or at least that wasn't the case when I was studying. About, I mean, this was twenty years ago, probably. I'm sure things have changed, but you know, like since the people who studied with me 20 years ago are now, let's say, you know, the the ones that are the editors of, you know, your, you know, slot the name in of said fashion <laughs> magazine, you know, they're, they're my age, you know, in their 40s and they're editing these publications mm-hmm. now, but they already didn't have, you know, a, a necessarily a training in how to write about fashion in, you um, um, how do you say, like being able to question, being able to fact check, being able, I'm uh, not just fact check, but right. like, you know, being, being able to write, yeah, have a structure to critical yes. thinking, let's say, because that's what I've been critical. pushing always with the story. Um, yes. Then I think of course there was a, there was a time when, um, when it was very, very um, clear how, how important the advertisers were for, magazines, you know, the the power that they had. I mean, that has to do with um, with the this shift in how fashion, how any not just fashion but any publication, you know, every every newspaper, every magazine is sold to the reader for a price that is a lot lower than what it actually costs to produce, right? Because there's right. this expectation that you know, that goes back I I mean don't quote me on this because this would need to be fact-checked, but I think this goes at least to the early 20th century if you think of mm-hmm. um, the relationship between publishing and advertising, you know. Um, and so, but then if you think of um, a lot of big newspapers, I got to say you find, I mean, a lot of times you find the sort of <laughs> the 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 um, What's the word? Like, fashion is often used in in big newspapers, your New York Times and so on. Like in this, in this way that it seems a lot less rigorous than other forms of culture. Mm-hmm. And also, oh, those, yeah. and those magazines also have their, you know, and have had uh, their glossy supplements with lots of advertising. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like you would avoid that problematic just because you work at the Washington times or, you know, or, or the guardian or whatever, like, right. Um, 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's gotten much worse now that every fashion media outlet has to scramble for advertising. And I think fashion advertising mm -hmm. has become much more important. And I think you're absolutely right. Like today, when I look at the Sunday Styles, the New York Times, I'm like, I just feel like uh, my brain cells are being rapidly destroyed just by the nature of what I'm reading. But I think it's uh, because it's because those magazines, I mean, those newspapers, rather, they also need to make money. And then so fashion, mm -hmm. because the advertising industry is so used to paying so much, you know, of yeah. course, they would also use these uh, glossy supplements as a way of supplementing, you know, their income so that mm -hmm. and, but then there's a I think there's. It's it's sort of systemic in a way, like the way the 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 way fashion as a as a di discipline really is undervalued. You know, like I think it's much more common, let's say, that in that you in fashion find um, find writing that you know is brain cell destroying, as you're putting it. You know, more than yeah. maybe maybe that kind of writing wouldn't be allowed. Uh, if it were uh, fine arts or if it were music mm -hmm. or, or sports or, you know, other literature, you know, other parts of culture that are considered somehow higher on the, uh, you know, in the cultural hierarchy that that's mm -hmm. somehow we all uh, live yeah. by, even though we yeah, know it's yeah. different. Fashion is on the lowest <laughs> rank, let's face it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that's... But that's that also has its own, you know, that has to do probably with fashion being seen as a woman's. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, how do you say woman's um, pursuit? Pursuit. That's right. Yeah, pursuit. Or or a sphere or a sphere. I I think that's part of it. Uh, mm -hmm. I really think that's part of it, and I also think that, let's face it, uh, fashion is very easy to attack you know like i keep defending fashion but sometimes i think you know if i were a very you know if i were a critic from another discipline and mm -hmm. i wanted to put fashion under microscope it is so easy to rip it apart you know be, between all mm -hmm. the vacuousness vapidity materialism uh you know, preoccupation with the surface, uh, really, really lack of thinking. It's not that hard to pick it apart. Like, I, I kind of keep waiting for someone to come in and write a book and just, like, annihilate it oh, from a critical that. viewpoint. There's so many books written like that. I mean, <laughs> it's, that is not... Uh, I mean, that's... I wouldn't respect any writer who, who uh, approached fashion in that way. That that yeah. is, uh, it's it's almost like you know too easy of a target. And I feel like I don't know. I feel sometimes that it's getting harder for me to defend fashion, and I keep concentrating on certain things that have a depth and a meaning uh, and a relationship just like you said, to mm -hmm. other aspects of life because it can be very rich. And I think you're right. It's been undeservedly uh, uh, unexamined. Uh, you know, we see that 
in museums in particular, right? Like even to today, like the Met Custom Institute is a big joke amongst when it comes to other uh, departments in the museum who view it as just an unserious cash cow. I mean, I don't know, like, I, I, <clears throat> I don't, uh, I, I still, mm, to me, I think what's interesting, ultimately, is that, there, I mean, in fashion, there are, obviously, as many thoughtful, reflective, you know, intelligent individuals as there are in any other discipline. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, it's not... The problem is not that people are, you know, vacuous or or uh, silly or anything like that. I think the what's interesting, and I don't really, I think again, it's like multiple factors that contribute. But I mean, how do how do you go from, you know, the best intentions of an individual to a system that is, you know, that that has become that is. Uh, or maybe not system, but an industry, let's say, that's a, a beast, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you look at, uh, I don't know, the individuals working at a bank, you know? They're, they'll be the same cross-section probably as you find anywhere, you know, people, uh, some people who who uh, deeply question, let's say, you know, uh, contemporary ca- capitalism, some people that don't. So you have, but then somehow the bank itself is is more than the sum of its parts. Do you understand mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, fashion is yeah. the same thing, you know? It's like how fashion, how the industry becomes, you know, yeah. or can be seen as in the way that you're describing it. That's, uh, that's what's so, I don't know, fascinating yeah. somehow. Like, because... Yeah. I, I- I both agree and disagree with you. Uh, I think I think you've been very lucky, perhaps probably uh, purposefully so. Let me tell you something. There are plenty, and I mean plenty of people in fashion who are exactly the way I describe them. But yes, there are absolutely fantastic people, and I met so many of them, you know, intelligent, but the thing is, look, Eugene, like, I think for, for me, for instance, like, sometimes I think, I think everybody, everyone can be, you know, we all have it within us to be uh, rude and dismissive, and we all have it within us to be, you know, kind and empathic. And, you know, it depends on, on, the, on the circumstances. It depends on how you're feeling. It depends on, like, I think that one thing with fashion that I think... Um, somehow conspires to at times bring out the worst in people is that uh, I think fashion, um, it, it has this, um, how do you say, like we, uh, those of us who work in fashion, on the one hand, um, we, we, we are also, how do you say, like we've internalized this kind of um, dismissive attitude that that mm-hmm, I think sure. uh, you know that that you know fashion being at the lowest totem pole as you were saying earlier you know mm-hmm. like this dismissive attitude that comes from um, society at large let's say like yeah. you know you often hear people say from you know in the fashion industry ah it's only fashion it's not like it's life or death it's only fashion right 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 but then at exactly. the other hand you have these situations that 
do feel like life and death in the moment, like mm-hmm. shit, shit, shit. We have to get this dress <laughs> to this actress or else, you know, I'm going to be, you know, my boss is going to kill me. And, you know, like this, this sort yeah. of stress and, and, uh, and sort of drummed up, um, uh, how do you say, like, uh, these artificial situations that when you're in them, you know, they, they feel like everything depends on them. And of mm-hmm. course, so there, there is that, uh, it's, it's crazy that you have these two extremes on the one hand, you know, the same people yeah. feeling this is super, super important. And at the same time feeling this is not important at all. And so I think, mm-hmm. and also I think, you know, because fashion, um, also relies so much on, uh, I mean the the hierarchies. How do you say like the the um, yeah like hierarchical relationships between individuals um, are so um, um, overt in fashion. You know, Fashion Week is mm-hmm. all about just very you know understand every individual being reminded of you know, how important or unimportant their, their place, <laughs> their yeah. place. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and I often have thought, you know, going to fashion weeks, because that's one of those moments where you can run into people, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, seem very rude or dismissive, or, you know, I try to think, well, if that happens or the times that that's happened, because of course it's happened to me just as it has happened to everybody, you know, that I've been sure. made to feel small or unimportant or, uh, you know any of those uh, feelings that can cut quite deep um and then i try to think well i try to <laughs> i just try I, I try to um remember that this pr person or whoever it is that i might encounter as a writer you know with their clipboard and you know not wanting to look me in the eye or whatever it is you know mm-hmm. they <laughs> They are as much caught up. It doesn't mean it's not a reflection of who they are. It's just it's a reflect mm. necessarily, you know. It's a reflection of of this drummed up like situation where you are not allowed really, or not able to, because to to uh, see one another as human beings, you yeah. are just seen as representatives of you know right. some uh, of whatever company you work at, yeah. or you know you're a representative of your status, you know, in that. Right. Um, duck pond um oh you are so generous anya you are so mo- you're way more emotionally generous than i am because <laughs> me nine times out of ten i'm like fuck those people like i want nothing to do with you like you're an asshole you know that uh, i know you go home and cry into your pillow at night just because of how debased you are yourself and how you're no, debasing that's... others <laughs> uh but yeah i i don't have emotional generosity towards 90 percent of the art people no i think <laughs> no i think a lot of times the 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 thing in fashion is that and this because we were talking you know in, in when we were prepping the our conversation today and uh, we talked a little bit about you know how um how imp- whether it's important, how important judgment is, right? Like how much, mm-hmm. uh, how how important it is to just um, stand back and, and kind of observe um, or analyze or reflect and how important judgment is. And of course, for criticism, which is a part of what we're talking about today, you know, and, and we both have 
a vested interest in in uh, in fashion criticism. You know, for criticism, you know, judgment is important at some point. You know, mm-hmm. but I think. Yeah, as you picked up on also in our earlier conversation, I, I think it's fair to say that I have become less interested, I think, over the years um, in judgment just because I don't feel that it serves anything, really. Like, it was important for me to have that when I first started because feeling like everything else out there was shite and I needed, you know, it gave me the, the, the energy to do something myself, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the typical thing. It's like nothing out there that's good. I've gotta, I'm going to have to do it myself, you know? It's like it's yeah. how you get started. It, it gives you fire, and it gave me fire. But then I think once, you know, the, the more I've um, become, um, the more I've, I've kind of found a place uh, for Vestoy, the more Vestoy in and of itself has found a place, you know, and the readership and, and, uh, and the the less I've found that I need to prove myself somehow or prove the validity of this project. I think the mm-hmm. more I've also been able to let go of that um, necessity to uh, to look down on others, you know, and I'm speaking of myself only now, like the, mm-hmm. that sort of, which was a kind of um, helpful mechanism, I suppose, right at the beginning, because... It, you know, if, if you look down on me, I'll look down even more on you because you're, a, you know, a whatever, bad writer or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't need that anymore. And I don't, um, and I don't find it helpful for me to, um, yeah, even to read stuff and, and get incensed about it. And sometimes I have to say, sometimes I do. And there are some magazines I still, uh, really can't stand but uh mostly (laughs) (laughs) only some (laughs) you know like you can but then you can also read like also in um because magazines i mean i i might you know there might be magazines that i don't you know the premise i don't agree with it or or i don't or i don't but doesn't mean i would never find any you know that i wouldn't ever find a a good piece of writing there or something Mm -hmm. interesting or or but i just i think what I started to think about more in, in fashion and why, for instance, it's so hard for uh, writers and PR people to uh, see eye to, eye to eye is not because, you know, writers are one way and PR people are another way, like inherently. It's just because we inherently have different agendas, right? It's like, mm-hmm. and, and I started to think everything about everything much more in terms of agendas, you know, like for PR, sometimes I think, you know, Maybe I, I want to, you know, I really want to go to a show, but I'm not given a seat or, you know, I'm not given a ticket or whatever, and I and I feel upset about it. And then I try and think, well, if I was this PR, you know, and, uh, and I had only 100 seats, you know, would I give a seat to, to, to Vestoy? Well, mm-hmm. it's not... No, they wouldn't be doing their job if they're doing that. They got to give right. their seats to the people who will generate the most likes or followers or whatever and, and I don't shit um I don't provide that so my space yeah. is it doesn't mean there's no space for me but my space is is uh you know we'll find it somewhere else we'll find the connection somewhere else 
Sure. No, I, I, I agree that those situations happen, but mm-hmm. then conversely, there are other situations <laughs> happen where you, you absolutely know that they have seats uh, and that the whole thing is they just don't want you there. They're either getting back at you or just simply exercising their power. Those things happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's commonplace. Or also... Actually, plenty of time has been where actually I thought, you know what? Actually, you're not doing your job because it's your job. It's your job to know who is everyone. Mm. And actually, you are either new Mm. or you haven't done your homework. uh, And actually, you're now doing disservice to the brand that you're working for. Sure, that happens. But then you can't like, but that's the same everywhere, isn't it? Not everyone does their job, you know, the way, you know, one wished they would. I just, I just, I think just generally I've, I found, you know, the longer I was in fashion and I think this really is my, my interest in fashion. And, you know, as a, as I said earlier, it's, it's really, it's just, it comes from just an interest in, in people, I'm interested in people like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. and I, of course, I, I also get frustrated sometimes and I get hurt and I feel like, uh, um, how do you say, like, I feel like I sometimes have been made to feel small and that's not, you know, and, and it's not like those things don't affect me or anything. They do. But I still, I, I still find that it doesn't help me to hold on to animosity like what helps me more is just to to try to not um get too wrapped up in myself i suppose and and to mm-hmm. think too much that it has to do with me anya aronofsky kronberg or it has to do with vestoy or i just right. think of it more as just getting caught up in someone else's shitty mm-hmm. day you know and and yeah and then i just try to let it go like i remember this the, i remember uh this um, situation early when I just moved to Paris, maybe maybe it was my first year here or maybe the second like fashion you know season that I was doing my rounds in in Paris and I didn't know anybody really when I came and I didn't you know and the story was had just started and <clears throat> you know most people I would say the story and they'd say like, what you know and i and i remember struggling <laughs> a lot with you know trying to explain what was the story uh, was and and feel like you know this that it was uh, a worthy project and that uh, you know to to get my my pitch right and all of this anyway it was like a very vulnerable moment uh, for me professionally and uh, and at the same time i was you know going around all these fashion shows trying to you know blag my way in um as i'd done mm-hmm. when i was a student and and i remember going to uh, i remember going to i think it was the uh, rick owens show or something like that or maybe mm-hmm. it was an under motor show i can't remember like one <clears throat> some uh, show at the palais de tokyo and I remember, and I didn't have a ticket, but the I'd, the PR of this, I think it was maybe, 
yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter who it was. Um, but I remember the PR like of, of this designer had let me into some earlier show, you know, that they're, that they also represented. So I felt quite confident that I would be let in again. But this time, uh, the same young woman wouldn't, um, she just, she was, I could see like with her clipboard, you know, she was so stressed and all these people, it was a very popular show and she was like, mm-hmm. she didn't even want to, um, you know, acknowledge me, you know, and, and I remember standing there and she told me like to stand to the side, you know, how every, you know, as all the other people going to the show were just filing in, you know, and I felt like the poor country bumpkin. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember like, and just standing there on the side, just at, to the side, seeing everybody else, you know, it felt like come in uh, and be allowed in except me. And then, um, and then right at the end when I thought maybe she would let me in, she just sort of disappeared off. And she, again, she wouldn't even look at me. I was like her mm-hmm. guilty conscience, you know, to the right. And I remember, leaving, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember leaving that show, you know, and, I, and of course I dressed up in, you know, my fashion week clothes. And I remember leaving that show and leaving the Palais de Tokyo and feeling so um, silly, you know, in my fashion week clothes mm-hmm. uh, amongst all the other people just dressed normal because they were just going to some exhibition, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon. And I remember... Um, yeah, feeling ashamed, you know, that I wasn't let in. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later that same day, I was just uh, cycling around the Marais in Paris where I lived at the time. And and I was just on cycling on a back street and I saw this same young woman walking towards me, you know, and our, and our eyes uh, just locked and she recognized me and I recognized her and... Mm-hmm. and um, and we both stopped and she just, um, she looked at me and she said, I'm so sorry, but I just didn't, you know, I'm so sorry about before, but I just didn't know, you know, it's like, she it was like an ellipsis kind of, and, and, and I understood what she meant. And, and I, I was just saying, you know, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, it happens. And I was trying to smile. And mm-hmm. then, and then I was leaving. And then as I cycled away, I just thought, um, how, how funny, you know, to like just have that moment where suddenly she was just another person and I was just another person and it was outside of this fashion week, you know, craziness and we could have been friends, you know, in in that had the circumstances been different. And yet in that moment that was so pressurized for her, you know, she made Mm -hmm. me feel like, you know, like shit basically. Not because right. she wanted to, but because just the whole situation, it was sort of s- set up like that, stacked like that, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think in fashion, yeah, yeah. The, it's a lot like that, you know? It's like the situation just overtakes the individual intention. That's how I try and think mm-hmm. about it anyway. Yeah. I understand. I, I've had mm-hmm. those situations too where uh, I feel like, don't take this personally. This is fashion week. Everyone is stressed. Yeah, right. Uh, everyone is under tremendous pressure. Um, but at the same time, there were definitely situations where you were like, you're just being an asshole. Let's face it. Like, <laughs> you're just being an asshole. Like, uh, so, uh, 
you know, it it is what it is. I know. Uh, and 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 it's fine. Yeah, and I always tell people like, look, don't worry. During Fashion Week, I don't oblige anyone to anything. Like, <laughs> I mean, how many times you and I have was supposed to meet in Paris, That's right? True. And it never yeah. happened during Fashion Week, and it's just what it is, and it's fine. But there have been definitely situations like, oh, well, you're just being a dick now. That, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, but anyway, I am r- really curious uh, about... Um, I want to talk more about you pivoting from fashion criticism that is passing judgment in why one way or another, which is which is yeah. what I still do, and it is super important to me um, to being more of an observer yeah. of you know an intelligent analyst observer mm-hmm. uh, of fashion and trying to suspend judgment, uh, which seems to be. <laughs> To me personally, an impossible feat. <laughs> uh, but but let's you know let's. I would like to talk about that. You know, yeah. but but take take me through. You know, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to critique, not criticize, by crit- but critique, right? Because there is a difference. Yeah. But critique fashion, uh, and then slowly sort of moving away from that. And saying, you know, I, I just want to observe and analyze, and that's the that's the viewpoint. I mean, um... and why are you making fashion lose a powerful voice and such an intelligent mind? <laughs> why are you depriving fashion <laughs> of your services? <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I certainly hope that is not the outcome. I just. Um, I think my version, anyway, of fashion, uh, of fashion criticism, has been, um, you know, I've I've never been, nor have I ever published uh, fashion uh, reviews, you know, or criticism in terms of looking at particular collections, or you know, uh, criticizing shows, or or uh, or even you know, individual garments, or designers so much you know like what i've been interested in more has been um a critical outlook on the industry on the system on 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 the things that go on um yeah on on the things that kind of what i was saying before you know less the individual and and more the um you know the bank let's say um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I, I just, um, so I think when, when it comes to, um, how to put this, it's like, it's, I, I, it's not, this is not to say that I'm not interested in publishing, um, or writing for that matter, um, what do you say, like, or, or providing, let's say, a critical viewpoint on fashion? Not at all. I mean, critical thinking on fashion is still very much, you know, what I want the story to be thought of. 
but I think, um, and I'm certainly not like, I think it's, it's very, this thing, um, I, I can't remember if it's ID magazine or which magazine it is that has as a tagline that they're fans, not critics, you know, that is not oh, yeah. my, uh, yeah. yes, that's, that's, that's ID. Yes. Yeah. That's, that, uh, uh, it, to me sounds very much like, um, how do you say, like when you, uh, when you point your flaw out, you know, ahead of time so that the other person can't do it. Uh, Wait, was, wasn't it amazing? Like when I saw that first, I posted it on my Instagram. I was like, I, are we actually reading this? Like, is this, are, are we, are we so much there that it is not only acknowledged, but it now is our motto. Like, We've just rolled over as a, as an industry. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Uh, yeah, I, no, no. This so, is why. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, they mean, wanted me to write for them, and I politely declined. Yeah, anyway. I mean, I that's. I, I think this. Uh, I don't. I, yeah, I don't even know. I mean, I don't. I don't. The thing is also that I gotta say, like, I really don't read. Uh, I just I don't read fashion magazines really and so yeah, I, I, I also feel like my um, and and I think that's maybe um, I just I, I I think a lot of times fashion magazines are, are also uh, geared towards a younger reader because you you know I, I loved fashion magazines when I was a teenager or when I was in my early mm-hmm. 20s because you know I was looking then for someone to tell me like what you know what was going on what's what was interesting like i was searching right. for my own point of view and my taste and and you know where i belonged and so uh, and i was and even though um i also felt ambivalent you know um, even as a younger woman when it came to like this sort of contradictory messaging that fashion magazines often um give you like um look like this but right. empowered <laughs> as you are you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly but yeah. i think it's still yeah. very much the case um i think as i've you know as i've grown older and have found my voice as a as a writer and an editor and and also as a reader i i don't look I don't need to look to these magazines mm-hmm. to tell me anything really anymore. And so yeah. I think, um, but to answer your, your, or at least to sort of answer your question, I think that with, um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, what I'm not interested in is, um, is writing fashion off. You know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as as uh, as something that's broken or as something that's mm-hmm. um, like uh, vacuous or silly or whatever. Because even though those um, elements are part of the industry, the industry is so vast, so big, and it contains so mm-hmm. many different uh, modes of expression and types of individuals that you know, when you've been in it for a while, you find your people, don't you? And so. Yeah, and and I think 100%. sometimes it's like it's a disservice in a way to the fashion industry and I think to the fashion system that there's like 
there's a sort of caricature of the person who works in it, you know? Um, And, or even that uh, it's seen as one monolith, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you think of designers, for instance, I think it's curious, really, that we, you know, we talk about, um, I don't know, a Dior in the same breath as we talk about... um, I don't know, some some recent graduate, yeah. you know, in some, you know, some city that's like got two seasons under their belt and are trying to figure out like where the hell to go, you know, and that there's two mm-hmm. vastly different um, types of businesses and brands and, and probably ideologies too are both uh, critiqued, you know, or, or somehow seen as the same thing called fashion right you know of course exactly. sometimes like exactly I, I wonder if maybe we should have some you know i know that genres is not really how people look at music anymore it's kind of uh but i wonder mm-hmm. if there's still you know it could be helpful in fashion to have more descriptors of absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And i i think we have them inside right like yeah. so when style zeitgeist started it was all about uh, you know, what I call artisanal designers mm-hmm. and what the kids are now calling the avant-garde, you know, so like Carpe Diem, Carl Christian Paul, Paul Harden, really these designers who do not operate in the fashion system. And uh, yeah, I was just recently interviewed uh, by GQ who were writing, out of all people, GQ was writing about an article about Paul Harden, mm-hmm. which I found fascinating. And speaking of buying magazines, yesterday I was holding that GQ in my hand and I'm like, okay, I should buy this for the archive and I couldn't bring myself to do it. You you know, there's like Nicolas Cage holding a snake on the cover and it's just like I flipped through it. It was like so bad and I'm like, I should buy it for my archive and I could like, I could not bring myself (laughs) to do it, (laughs) you know. But anyway, I I digress, but I think you're absolutely right. Like you can talk about Dior and Paul Harden, like in the same breath, right? They're completely different, different That's right, that's right. But I do, I I still think that um, there, and this I think goes back to what you were asking me before. I think there's a space for both, right? It's like, it doesn't mean Absolutely. that I need to be invested in both, but I also don't need to say, you know, the Dior's of this world should, uh, you know, like implode. And I mean, it's like, it's just, I, I don't, and I think that's where my, um, my judgment is. It's like, I don't, I, I can say much more, like when, when we're talking about magazines, for instance, I mean, there are magazines that that make my skin crawl, you know, just looking at them because sure. they feel, it, it just, they feel so um, foreign to, you know, what I appreciate and, and feel like that I stand for and so on. But I don't, I no longer think that they, that they should like go bust, you know, I think like they can't, we can all exist. There's space mm-hmm. for everyone. You don't need to. Sure, sure. Like so, I think that for me is what's what's changed. Like I don't, I don't, um, and I don't, and I and I don't think of editors and writers working for those publications as somehow corrupt, and myself as somehow 
you know, because <laughs> that, right. you know, and, and and I think that that's, uh, I mean, we're laughing, but I, I I still, if I'm quite honest, think that when I started out, I had much more of that mindset. Mm-hmm. But now I think it's much more about just about different choices you make. It's like different things matter to different people. You know, to me, yeah, yeah. Uh, I made certain choices with Vestoy because those things were really important to me. And most of those things are still really important to me. But mm-hmm. to someone else who's a fashion writer, other things will be important. Things that I that make no sense to me, but make sense to them, you know? Of course. Yeah. No, I, I get that. Um, but so I, I still very much remain in the fashion criticism mm-hmm. and passing judgment, uh, as, as, as you probably know, <laughs> phase uh, of my journalistic uh, career or my, my writing mm-hmm. career, whatever you want to call it. But the thing is, you know, I always view it that I'm doing it in the service of fashion. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I view myself as the opposite of the hypothetical intellectual who could come in and, and easily pick it apart from a critical mm. point of view. Like I view myself as actually completely the opposite. Like I critique or I criticize because I want it to be better, not because I want it to be worse. You know, I, I want, and I want the entire fashion world i don't want to say fashion industry Mm -hmm. but really fashion discipline i want it to be better i want it to be more more worthwhile i want it i want it to be able to stand up Mm -hmm. to criticism in general and to say like listen you know like you can laugh at the mad custom institute what you want, uh, uh, like as much as you want if you're an art curator. But I can't mm-hmm. say that an Alexander McQueen retrospective, like I can't say that that wasn't art. Like that was so powerful. That made a more powerful impact on me than probably 80% of art exhibitions I've seen yeah. in my life, you know? And, and as a matter of fact, if I want to feel good about uh, my career and the place I work in today, I look at art, mm-hmm. you know, I like, there is more fakery. There is more bullshit. There is more ass kissing. There is more asinine writing in art journalism you know today than fashion and i'm like every time i want to feel good like i want to feel good about like fashion i'm like well the art world is like 10 times more toxic so you're fine <laughs> you know if you if we look at a scale right and same you know we're talking about different genres of uh, cultural journalism music you know sort of same shit right like we talk about remember when you had this uh uh conversation with mcnally jackson years ago mm-hmm. about how hard that is to be a fashion journalist one of the things was access right yeah. like you need access to people and they just the r won't give it to you if you have been critical but same thing is happening with music now because especially of social media because there are now ways to circumvent uh, it's the same thing. You know, you criticize an album, you'll never get an interview yeah. with, you know, with, with, a, with a pop star or whatnot. Yeah. So, 
but to go back to my earlier, mm-hmm. to my initial point, I feel like, you know, I criticize it because I want it to be better. Like I want fashion discipline in general to the better. And I feel like, you know, when I look at Zivor <laughs> or whatnot, I'm like, well, actually you're doing disservice to fashion as a discipline. And I'm going to call that out. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Which I'm not saying that your position is... I am actually very interested in where you're going right now and observation because I think actually that's also very... not just... not only valid, but important way... To, to analyze and say, I'm going to try to suspend my bias as much as I can and just observe. I think, so yeah, I'm curious yeah. to hear more. I, I think, well, I, I think um, I've started thinking much more. I've started thinking about <clears throat> uh, some, some years ago, I did an issue of a story on capital um, as a theme, you know, and I was looking at... Um, you know, all, all different forms of capital, cultural capital, social capital, and financial capital, and so on. Like, you know, in fashion, we're quite um, uh, used to, like, exchanging cultural capital for financial capital, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. I give you cool, you give me money, or vice versa. Right. Um, but looking... Um, in, in thinking about that topic and, and then researching it and going back to some of the texts that I um, was reading as a student already, um, it made me think a lot about <clears throat> taste, you know, that's so such an important concept in, in, in fashion, you know, you have good taste or you have mm-hmm. bad taste and it's, and, you know, in, and there's a kind of, True, truism, you know, that you can't buy taste and people who have, you know, right. who are nouveau riche have bad taste. And, you know, we have all these sort of ideas about what the correct taste is at any point in time and who has it and and uh, and who can't possibly um, ever have it, you know, no matter how hard they try. And, <clears throat> and it made me like, it made me, um, and, and reading about, taste and thinking about taste that made me think a lot about, you know, my own taste, like uh, in, in terms of, you know, why do I think, like, what is it that makes me think, like, where did I get this idea that my taste is good taste? You know, where does that come from? Why is it like when I look at something that I consider bad taste, where does that come from? Like, and, and it made mm-hmm. me, you know, and th- this, um, and I think we, in, in culture in general, um, so, you know, so many, of us uh, have become much more used to, uh, um, how do you say, like acknowledging what we call our own privilege, right? And and where that comes from, and how um, education or uh, or uh, economics or uh, race and a bunch of other things fits into um, how much of this you might have, you know, how much of this privilege you might have mm-hmm. in any given situation. And I think with when I was thinking about taste, I, I was thinking about it also from that point of view, you know? It's like, well, taste is interesting because um, it's something that 
you know, as we grow older, it's, it's, and because we have it with us, many, many people from childhood, you know, it's like, it's, uh, it comes from, you know, our parents and, and their parents and, you know, the, everything that has right. to do with this capital, all these different forms of capital that I was um, also looking at, like, it becomes so natural that we, we stop even being conscious of the fact that it's mm-hmm. completely constructed, you know? And that, sure. and that these ideas around good taste and bad taste are also completely uh, constructed. And and I think right. for me, it, it was a, a it 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 sort of um, something clicked again because I, I think I hadn't really been very conscious of the constructedness of my own taste. Like I might have said that I was, but I don't think on any deep level I I really was. You know, like it it, it was. Like I might look at, uh, I don't know, some, uh, uh, I don't know what example I might take, I don't know, Fendi or something and, and say that it's, or Dior or whatever, and say that, you know, that's, that's like, that's just bad taste. And it's like, and mm-hmm. it's like ridiculous. And I don't even, but then I started thinking, well, who are the, you know, who are the people who, who like these this aesthetic or who like these brands like where do they come from like if if they are mm-hmm. you know i don't know i if i'm expressing myself in in a in an accurate way here but like basically um it's i, I think it, it, again it's that sort of it, we make these distinctions between like you can have uh, cool or you can have money but you can't have both you know because everyone need to, right. needs to feel like they own a certain form of capital, you know, otherwise it's just too much of a threat. Mm-hmm. If you have someone who's got cool money and, you know, social connections and every other, no, no, it's like, you can't right, be, right, right. you know, it's like, you can't be smart and beautiful. You've got to be uh, right. one or the other, you know, it's like those, yeah. those sort of, uh, yeah, none of it is true. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we know that. No, no, no. But that's my point, right. That you, that we, uh, we, um, carry these erroneous, like, uh, ideas because we because they make us feel better about ourselves you know like it's it's again mm-hmm. like you might look down on me but i can i can surely look down on you even more because xyz you know and i think sure, sure, when, right, right. and i think like so then coming back to um what, what you were asking about observing something rather than judging something well it's because Mm-hmm. If I'm able to do, if and when I'm able to do that, it teaches me so much more about myself, my role in the world. You know, uh, you know the the um, how do you say like the circumstances that have shaped me, you know, out of my control mm-hmm. uh, that have shaped me into the person that I am, and and it brings that much more into relief, you know. And so then mm-hmm. I feel like I'm. Uh, like instead of saying I have the right kind of taste and you then have the wrong kind of taste, it's it becomes much more interesting for me to say, okay, I have this kind of taste and you have that kind of taste. And what does that say right. about where you come from? And what does this say about where I come from? And why is it so hard for us to, you know, to to understand one another's taste? And 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 also because I can't make too many assumptions about the other person, it leads me to think, well, what is it about me that makes it so hard to understand uh, what you think of as good taste or cool or, you know, like, 
I don't know, like logos, for example, you know, that were so, um, mm-hmm. have been so popular these last um, few years. And, you know, they, they become popular and then they fall out of fashion and then they become popular again, right? Like how we signpost, mm-hmm. um, you know, what we like. You know, logos to me was the total, uh, um, it's like I just couldn't wrap my head around why you, why, why you would want to have like some, I don't know, Louis Vuitton printed on your, you know, shirt or Fendi or like Gucci or, you know, all of these things. And then it made me think, well, yeah, like I grew up, uh, you know, I grew up in Sweden. I grew up in this upper middle class background. I got, you know, all the kind of education that you would imagine, you know, someone uh, European and, you know, from, uh, well-off background getting. I was exposed to uh, to art and culture and, and literature and all of those things that, you know, have made me the kind of person that shouldn't like logos, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You grew up in a different way, you know, striving for, uh, for uh, things you can't have or like, I don't know, you, your vantage point on what's cool or what's like, you know, how you signal that would be totally different, you know? Sure. Not any less, uh, I'm saying not any less, because of, of course, like I signal with the brands that I wear, you know, just as strongly to the other people who, you know, belong to that same niche that I belong to as mm-hmm. much, you know, the guy who likes, you know, or woman who likes the Fendi logo, you know, they signal more in a more overt way to probably more people, but it's still about the signaling, you know, like no one is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 No, completely. But I feel like, uh, I feel like those markers have been completely erased, like not completely erased. No, of course. Listen, Mm. if you, if I see someone in like some stupid Balenciaga hoodie, you know, with Balenciaga on it, I know exactly what they're signaling. Yeah. But at the same time today, because I, I think we, we're in such a postmodernist world that information spreads so easily. And they're like, no, no, there are virtually no subcultures to speak of. And there are virtually no tribes to speak of. Like today, if I see someone in Recoens, there's absolutely no guarantee that they're into certain kind of music, certain kind of art, or have a certain level of taste uh, that is, you know, pretty progressive and difficult. Uh, that you're like, oh, you know, like in high school, like, oh, if you're wearing this band t-shirt, that's probably, I should talk to you, right? Mm-hmm. We may have same values. There is no more guarantee of that, right? Like we know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, let's say it's gotten much harder, right? Like I used to flag people on the street and be like, hey, what's up? And like, you sometimes you got an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. There's no way I could do that today. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, yeah, I feel like the markers of taste have shifted. But look, but I mean, a lot. We are also like, look, like Eugene, we are like, we're older now, aren't we? It's like, we don't, yeah. we don't signal the same way when you're in your 40s as you do when you're in your teens, you know? It's like, you don't, sure. you don't, 
Um, yeah, well, you may be talking to the wrong person, but okay. <laughs> well, I'm speaking generally, let's say. Like, I think... Sure, you, sure. And so, um, I don't know. I, I also, I also want to be mindful a bit, like when we're talking, like when you say uh, that there aren't any subcultures and so on anymore. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe. But then again, maybe it's just true, you know, in the in North America and in Europe, you know, like, I don't know what's going on in China, for instance, you know, or in, sure, you know, yeah. I don't know yeah. what's going on on the African continent. I don't know, you know, how people communicate, mm-hmm. you know, sartorially in the Middle East or, you know what I mean? So it's like, right. we, we're just so we're just so used to, you know, all this culture coming from the West. But that's that's the uh, I mean, America happens to own the Internet. So it's like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the, the, yeah. And pop culture, more or less. And pop too, culture. You know. Totally. So it's like, but that doesn't mean that there aren't things happening in the margins or in the cracks or parallel to or just because just we don't know them. True, um, true, true, true. No, I agree. There's one question I wanted to ask before we get yeah. to the death of fashion criticism and you getting out just in the right time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, What's what's your take? One of the biggest things that I'm trying to fight against uh, in my writing, and I think one of the, uh, and it could be completely, I'm, I know I'm fighting a losing battle, uh, but I'm also curious whether there should even be a battle be fought, and maybe this is just a formation of new cultural ideas that we actually cannot wrap our heads around just yet. But to me, uh, one of the biggest tragedies of fashion today is the constant and I think deliberate erasure of meaning, right? And, you know, what do I mean by that is kind of exactly what we talked about, right? Uh, what does fashion mean? You know, what does what you're wearing mean how do you signal something other than you know conspicuous consumption mm-hmm. right or materials status or your pecuniary status as the blend you know would have said mm-hmm. this constant erasure of meaning starting from the term fashion itself right you know fashion used to mean something quite specific right whether it first you know whether it meant haute couture or whether it meant what I now call designer fashion, which is when I say fashion in my mind, I still mean that sort of, you know, runway designer uh, uh, fashion, fashion, you know, garments that have been designed. Um, Whereas opposed to now, fashion scene, fashion is everything, right? Mm -hmm. And and I feel like now we call fashion is what we used to call style, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Where style can be anything. You know, and, and I thought like, and fashion meant something a bit narrower, right? And I and I feel like, and I feel like the erasure of meaning uh, has the biggest winner here is I think capitalism, right? And I think I always say like postmodernism is has been the biggest gift from culture to capitalism because when we talk about especially in fashion anything goes, what we really mean is anything sells, right? And fashion has become this catch-all word for something that denotes something cool, right? So now 
everyone wants to be fashion. You know, H&M wants to be fashion. Nike wants to be fashion, you know, as well as Chanel. And, and they have won. There's no question about it. But I don't know if there is, you know, or what does it mean when you're wearing an Nirvana t-shirt, but you've never heard an Nirvana song in your life, right? And, and everything is about decoupling substance from surface, uh, and I was curious to get your take, you know, whether it's not even, whether it's even a concern for you or whether you are simply, you know, observing this at all and whether it has any impact on you. Because it does on me, you know, as a, this Gen Xer who certainly grew up in subcultures uh, where what you're doing is you're searching for meaning. And, and I think search for meaning is one of the most fundamental human pursuits. Uh, and I've searched for meaning in fashion, you know, as long as I've been conscious of it. And, and this constant erasure of meaning really does weigh on me. So I was curious to get your take. Well, <clears throat> yes, it's like a, <clears throat> it's a lot of questions, uh, like it's, it's sort of uh, roped together in this big uh, kind of uh, woolly uh, yarn. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> pull, pull some 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 threads out, but I I, I think um, the first thing that struck me when you were talking was that I actually um, I I don't make this distinction and um, between fashion and style. I think it's uh, I think it's a uh, flawed distinction i don't i think because mm -hmm. I, I, to me the, the way i see to me fashion is uh, is another word for change and i don't and to me nothing stands outside of fashion you know and just like in you know when, when i was a student we would look at let's say traditional uh, using the term of, you know, we would have been taught traditional societies, like maybe um, what we would have called ethnic clothing, you know, the stuff that, you you know, people wear outside of, uh, you know, the influence of America or Europe. And we would look at those clothes and that would be costume history, you know, the things that are not part of fashion, the things that haven't changed. But even then, we were learning, and I think now, if you were to study, you would not, you wouldn't look at anything as being outside of fashion. You know, just because something changes, let's say, just because a, uh, I don't know, like um, Maori uh, garment changes or outfit changes to a slower pace than what uh, a garment might do. You know, for someone that's wearing, you know, some a style of jeans and I don't know, whatever in, in the States doesn't mean that one is outside of fashion and the other one is within fashion. It's just different tempos. Right. And so, mm -hmm. and I think actually for, I, I had the, I've thought that making that distinction between fashion and style or, or, or dress and fashion or like, to me, that's, it, it undermines fashion somehow and that makes me want to stand up and defend fashion and, and and say that actually you know because 
I, I often have the impression that when one makes that distinction, you know, it's like it's all another way of saying, you know, fashion is silly, but style is, uh, you know, fashion is fickle, but style is eternal or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and I object to that because I think that everything, you know, to me that it's they they're synonymous. It's like style is fashion, and fashion is style, and it's all dress, and there's no and we don't it, we don't gain anything by making those very big distinctions. It's like it doesn't it's too vast and too general just for me to say really anything about anything. And so I think. Um, and and I think actually it's because um, fashion as a system and as a discipline and as an industry uh, is still battling these um, kind of prejudices, I guess, um, mm-hmm. or this these connotations, or how do you say like this stink of being fickle or, or uh, you know, all the things that we were talking about before about vanity and frivolity and all of that, the rest of it, it still clings to, to fashion. I, I, I then um, prefer to, um, to think of fashion as something, if not elevated, but at least neutral, you know, and then you can go into it more and look at, you know this this aspect uh, of the industry. It, you know I don't agree with for X Y Z reason. Or this particular brand mm-hmm. is com- you know is completely inconsistent to me, or, or you know doesn't uh, put his money where its mouth is, or whatever. You know you have to get in more mm-hmm. on a granular level. Um, and what else? You said so many uh, good things that I that I had responses to, but now I forgot them all. What else did you say? Uh, the, no, just the erasure of meaning. Ah, that. Um, well, you know what? I, that makes me think of like when I was um, when I was a teenager. Um, well, this was would have been in the nineties, I guess. Maybe same time as you, nineties, nineties. Yeah. Yeah, and and I remember like I was listening to. Uh, you know, then the like bands that were cool for you know for me that was uh, growing up again, like uh, white in Sweden, you know, uh, middle class background. Mm-hmm. We would we were all listening, all the cool ones anyway. I was reasonably cool. We all listened to um, to indie pop. <laughs> that was the that was the music, you know, the day indie indie bands like Suede and you know Blur and Remember mm-hmm. Oasis, all of those Nirvana, blah blah blah. Uh, those were just the big ones that I re- that I'm remembering now. There were a ton of smaller ones too. But after listening to those bands, we'd start to listen to the bands that those bands listened to, you know. And those would have been bands from mm-hmm. the '60s, Velvet Underground, or uh, I don't right. know, Love, or I can't remember what what they were all called. But you know, we were, of course, uh, you know, and then and with that came like an interest in in mod culture and you know all of these cultures that mm-hmm. I obviously were could only access through reading about them or, 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 uh, you know, through this, um, um, I mean, through, how do you say, like applying those values on, onto myself. I mean, I wasn't, uh, 
I wasn't a mod. I mean, I didn't come from that world, but I still dressed for uh, for a period in those clothes and assumed those ideals and felt really um, felt really aligned with what what that subculture was about, even though I was a total uh, tourist in 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 that world. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that to me, it was all new. That's the thing. It's like to me, you know, individually, it was new, even though you know the. And to me, it was still a revelation when I, uh, you know, I remember discovering Velvet Underground and and what they stood for and the music that they played and like, uh, so so to me, so then when we're talking about meaning. I don't actually think that about it in terms of a loss of meaning because I think that, you know, whoever it is that discovers anything, they make a new meaning of, of, of that for themselves. You know, you take from something what you need in that moment. And even though, you know, an older, you know, someone of my parents' generation would maybe could have looked at me and said, you know, what a silly you know, little girl dressing like a mod or, you know, a punk or whatever it was that people, you know, these, uh, how do you say, like these mm-hmm. uh, subcultures that were long, you know, long gone, dead and buried and then revived uh, in this like uh, magpie way by later generations, you know. Sure, I, you know, there are a lot of, things about that culture that I had no idea in and no interest in, but that did, that doesn't mean that I, that it was all surface or all about the aesthetics, you know, it it was much more, I think about, um, about what you were saying before, you know, like uh, searching, actually searching for meaning Mm -hmm. and, and finding maybe a meaning that, wasn't the same as the meaning would have been at the time, but it, that doesn't make it null and void, you know? And and so, right. and, and I imagine it's the same for people, you know, who I look at now and think like who are, I don't know, teens. And I'm like, yeah, what is this? Like Nirvana t-shirt, like bought that, you know, Shane, or I don't know who makes Nirvana t-shirts nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, H&M. H&M. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who buys at H&M anymore. I feel like H&M is out of fashion. But uh, yeah. no, but but that. But then again, it's like I think. Well, if it if it you know maybe give something to this person who's wearing it, maybe they just like the look of it. But mm-hmm. you know, again, it's like it's anyway. It's just it's. It's just another way of trying to, I don't know, communicate or put something out there in the world that uh, maybe hopefully speaks to to some like-minded person, you know? Like maybe not in the sense that you were saying before that you stop someone in the street because, you know, you're wearing the same Nirvana t-shirt or whatever, but maybe you speak to someone who's, who's also interested in, I don't know, like... Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe the the communication, or how do you say? Maybe the way of communicating can be just as strong, even though it's not as literal. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I f- I'm 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 finding a hard time uh, 
I'm finding a hard time accepting this uh, this premise these days. <laughs> it's becoming, and I and I know there are new meanings being created, mm-hmm. and I know there is new culture being created. I suppose when I when I look about when I look at things that used to mean something and they no longer do. You know, it's that part where I'm like... But that doesn't look, Eugene, just because they don't mean anything to you anymore doesn't mean they don't mean anything to anybody. It's like, how how are we to say that that something has lost all meaning? Like, how on earth would we know that? How do you even judge that? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be that radical, <laughs> but, you know, I know that when someone put on a Marilyn Manson t-shirt because Justin Bieber wore it on stage. I'm pretty confident in that part of erasure of meaning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that much I feel like, well, I don't know if there's an argument to be made, uh, you know, a, a, against the stance. But I get it. No, I mean, listen, and uh, uh, we have to be, We, I know I have, I, we have to remain uh, optimistic and curious and searching mm. because that's also what we do, right? That's what makes our work interesting. Um, but on a related note, and that's probably going to be our last mm-hmm. topic for discussion uh, because 90 minutes has passed like nothing. Yep. And we were worried. <laughs> um but I, but I am curious to get your take on on the fashion industry at large. Uh, you know, is there anything you? What excites you? What do you see lacking? Like, what keeps you engaged? Mm. What keeps you interested? What is it that you can't even look at anymore? And maybe how it has changed over your tenure? Like, just yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'll tell you one of the reasons I'm asking too, because also, like, I, I've, I've over the past couple of years, I've gotten into what I think is an amazing habit in reading books from like the '90s, from the '80s, and I'm like, oh, we're kind of having the same complaints. It's oh, just, yeah. you know, you know, things have changed, but the complaints are the yep. same. And I'm like, does it keep getting worse and worse, or is it just that's like different? Same, different time? Look, that's the thing. That's yeah. like, I, I remember, like, I remember reading, you know, um, when I was reading history of design, also coming across. Um, no, I remember reading. Um, yeah, like early, uh, I don't know, Samuel Pepys was, uh, was a, a figure that I remember reading in design, in design school and it being so much, um, just as you're saying, you know, someone who was um, complaining hundreds of years ago but still complaining about the same uh, things in this fellow man. But um, let's see, like, Okay, so so what? Uh, let me start with what um, what I see a lack of, right? Because that that's one of the things that you're asking, mm-hmm. and, and uh, something that actually really does frustrate me, and that I'm uh, um, trying to, uh, to to if not rectify, then at least uh, push for is that. I find it 
like you know how how in fashion it's we still haven't gotten to a point in the industry where the industry actually invests in intellectual inquiry about itself you know like in fashion when uh, when there's money being spent on culture it's always spent on on uh, on arts that's the one thing you know it's spent on dance mm-hmm. it might be spent you know on cinema maybe even on literature but where is the where is the you know where is the initiatives that supports intellectual inquiry about fashion itself like this is like why why does a big i mean i understand why a big company i don't know a chanel let's say wants to give uh, money to art institutions because it, it of course it gives them this you know cultural capital that we were talking about before but wouldn't it be mm-hmm. so much better for the discipline itself if you would invest money into uh, initiatives that look at uh, that look at fashion itself that is researching fashion not you know you know the, um, support scholars when, in in fashion like bridge the industry and theory you know as 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 I have tried to do in my own mm-hmm. small way like why isn't that happening on a grander scale you know why aren't we um yeah why aren't we investing in fashion the way that when and, and I'm talking like because you have the other thing is that when you have uh, money given from fashion back into fashion it tends to always be funneled to uh, towards design you know or research and development like the object itself and I'm I'm wondering like where is the interest in intellectual research? Like, where is the interest? Well, I may have an answer for that one. <laughs> <laughs> There's no return on investment there, Anya. That's why. Because even when uh, Louis Vuitton builds an art museum, that's return on investment in some form. Because that's lifting a cultural cachet and attracting rich people who want to be art adjacent because that's prestigious. Those people are not going to go read. Books well, I mean, all of those things. That. I mean, I, I mean, I know what you're saying, of course, but I think that's that to me um, uh, uh, seems like such a, a short-sighted, small-minded way of looking at mm. uh, what an investment is, right? Because if you know, you you would uh, probably have the same heads of the same companies. Also understanding the value of education, the value of inspiration, you know, all of these terms that, that are mm-hmm. like the importance of sure. learning and uh, of being creative and, you know, like all the, but, mm-hmm. uh, but that's what intellectual, intellectual inquiry, humanistic inquiry is all about, no? It's like the investment is you get like better thinkers that you're working with. I mean, and, and then when it comes to, a cultural cachet, well, that's more a matter of branding, isn't it? You know, just like the art world has branded itself a certain yeah. way. Maybe, um, maybe you know, fashion fashion scholarship is still a new uh, is still a new form of scholarship. You know, but but I think the more mm-hmm. it gains ground, and the more, and I can see also how uh, more and more uh, schools the value of uh, you know offering these types of educations and I'm quite sure that 
big business will start to catch up on that too. They're just very slow. It's just they're they're slow mm-hmm. to. There's not a lot of forward thinking in that area, and um, which yeah. seems bizarre to me. But then, um, and so the, also the way I'm thinking of the story going forward is much more in those terms. Like, how can the story uh, bridge that gap? Like, I, I want you know, and, and I'm like, and I'm thinking and working with the story now much more as. Um, um, as a, a research center or think tank, if you like, you know, a place where uh, mm-hmm. these big questions can be asked, you know, and then whether the output is, well, we talked about publishing and we talked about the story journal in, in this conversation, but it could just as well be uh, a performance, you know, of which I've done many, or it could, have, or it could be um, in terms of, Broadcasting, you know, that's what you're doing with this podcast, you know, or it could be in terms yeah. of learning knowledge outside then of the academy, which is what I'm interested in much more than um, than being part of a university, you know, to really think what is, mm-hmm. you know, how do we continue to think critically about fashion also as we go into the industry, you know, what, uh, yeah. what could um, education or learning be uh, outside of you know, outside of the university? Why does it have to stop because you graduate? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't, again, I just don't know if it's in their best interest. And I think they look at things of their best interest. And I, and I think also because there is so much that can be criticized, I think the moment they, they, they see the word criticism, it, that automatically me you know has this negative connotations and listen there and because I think the fashion industry when I say industry now we're talking about big yeah. brands mostly right there is so much facade and there is so much that's bad that's going on behind the scenes from ex- from exploitation to racism to uh, abuse of power to greenwashing. I don't know how many of these brands want to give people a peek behind the curtain. And maybe that's what they're afraid of. And you have been incredible at lifting the curtain because some of the texts I've read in Vestoy I would be, I was really impressed. I was like, how did Anya get them to say that? <laughs> I, 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 I really, you have a talent for that. I'm like, wait, what? They, they really, that's in writing? Um, and I remember in your interview, clearly with Patrick Scalon, mm-hmm. you know, the PR for Dries Van Noten, who was PR for Margiela before, and he said some things on the record where I was like, bravo, you know, uh, I hope you don't lose your job. Um, I think you're very good at that. And, and it's, Vesto is precious. This is one of the reasons why I think Vesto is, you know, such a great publication. Mm. You do go behind the curtain. I mean, yeah, gosh, yeah, I, I absolutely would not um, ever... 
stop seeing the story as a vehicle for doing precisely that. I think that's like, but I think that, you know, a fashion uh, insider, you know, a, a Patrick Stellan or a Lucinda Chambers or, you know, sometimes, of course, I've gotten into trouble because, you know, someone I've spoken to, you know, they might regret what they said or, you know, they might get frightened. And I, I, that's that's understandable. Um but at the same time, I think that there are, you know, there are a lot of um, people working in the fashion industry and working for, you know, working in the fashion industry that can see all the, you know, how amazing it can be in so many ways, but you are frustrated by some of the same things that uh, you're frustrated by or I'm frustrated by, you know, things we've been talking about today and and... Um, and I think and Vestoy should always be a space for those voices. I mean, Vestoy can be a space for those mm-hmm. voices because, but because the because we're independent, because it's a niche publication, because um, it's a very literary publication. People have other expectations of of, of Vestoy than they would have of a GQ, you know, or a Vogue or some, mm-hmm. I, I don't like, I don't even know who reads those magazines anymore. I don't think people do because <laughs> I think that there's a, I think it's interesting with fashion magazines. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day when I got this big, someone gave me this big coffee table, uh, you know, biannual fashion publication. I was like, but these magazines, they, they there's, there's a little, like they go from, uh, publisher to PR person's, you know, desk, and then they go in, in the bin or something because they're just, they're mm-hmm. not, you know, when you have a coffee table book that weighs like six kilos, where the type is like really small and, you know, it, they just, it doesn't invite reading. It's just the object itself is not made for reading. It's made with other things in mind, you know? If you are interested in learning about dress and learning about culture, you know, through the lens of social history, through the lens of philosophy, through arts, through culture, like, where do you go? Well, you go to the story. That's what I want. That's what I'm making. On that note, thank you so much. And uh, I hope to see you soon in person. Perfect. You know how to Google? You know how to find it. That's all. Yeah. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc, intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Styles Thank you for listening.